Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. I'm excited about this morning. There's just a lot going on this morning and this year. I just want to bring you up to speed on a few things that are happening, and then we'll get into our text today. The, the, our North Campus opened up their brand new building uh, today. This morning was their grand opening. That's exciting. And uh, they've got a Spanish church upstairs that will seat 250. Downstairs is a whole fellowship area and a kitchen and uh, offices down there, prayer rooms. And it's a great facility, great church, and they're moving into it this morning. So that's exciting news. Uh, Walterboro, the update there, we bought a building, if you didn't know already, right in the heart of Walterboro at a food lion, and they've started the demolition already in December. Uh, this week, the roof goes off, and a new one is put on, and so it's exciting to see what the Lord's doing right there, and then our Ridgeville campus, we, we're coming out of the ground. We, we'll get our ground disturbance permit this month sometime, hopefully soon, and they'll be able to start digging the retention ponds, putting the pad in, the driveways all that kind of stuff, so that's coming. You saw the announcement at Lieber Church. In two weeks, we have our first service at Lieber Church at the Lieber Correctional Institute, and we are excited about going out there. If you men want to get involved, we have a luncheon next week. You need to be there because we need to get all the teaching in and get you guys ready and prepared to go on in there. And so that's exciting as well. So a lot of exciting stuff going on at Faith. It's a great time to be here, and we're glad you're here today. Now take your Bibles out and turn to Isaiah chapter 6. By the way, next week at the prayer breakfast, I want you to come, 8 o'clock, all the men. It will be in the back. Uh, I'll be preaching. I'll be sharing the vision of my heart for the men of faith. And so invite someone to come. Bring them with you. Uh, we'll be done about 9.30ish. And so come and join and be a part of that celebration with us as we break our fast next Saturday morning. Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, how many know that, that we live in very uncertain times in America? Everything that can be shaken in America is going to be shaken. This is a, just a weird time that we live in today. Uh, th there are certain time periods, though, that, that historians have said those are days that kind of mark our history. Uh, we know that on December 7th, uh, 1941, that was Pearl Harbor, the invasion of Pearl Harbor. And that was the day when uh, the Japanese fighter pilots came in, 3,000 plus people were killed, and it launches us into World War II. And so, one of the presidents afterwards said, that is a day that will live in infamy. And so there are certain days, certain times that mark our history. And, and then we know that, uh, how many remember when President Kennedy was shot? And that was some time ago. I was, a lot of you won't remember that because you weren't born yet. But that, that occurred on the, uh, November the 22nd, 1963. And I was about nine years old. And I remember when, they, when he was shot and I was sitting in the classroom and they came over the loudspeaker and says our president has just been shot. And I didn't know President Kennedy, but all the girls were crying in the room, and so I thought I should cry. And so I cried. I felt that empathy with them, and I was crying right along with the best of them and had no idea what was going on. But it was a day that shook our nation. And you remember the pictures of the two children saluting as that casket goes down the street. Quite, quite a time in our history. And then most of us, just about everybody in here will remember 9-11. 2001. 
It's a day that will always live in infamy. It's a day that changed the landscape of our travel and America and terrorism and twin towers falling to the ground. And they kept showing those videos over and over again. And we were just glued to the television in the shock and the horror of what we were witnessing firsthand right on our own soil. That is definitely a day that will always live in infamy in America. Well, Isaiah has a similar day or a time like that as well as the entire nation of Judah. And he dates it, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Very significant day. It shook up the southern kingdom of Judah, and, and so he recounts that time. And it's a time of uncertainty. And, 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 and Uzziah was one of the good guys. He was one of the good kings. And he reigned 52 years so you can imagine having a king over Judah, 62 years. He came to the throne at age 16. He dies at age 68, and uh, he reigned all that time over the nation, and then he passes away. And so you get this sense that the whole nation of Judah is mourning the loss of their king. He is the one that the Bible says he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Unlike King Ahab in the north and many of the other wicked kings that came up either in Israel or in Judah, Uzziah was one of the good guys. He strengthened the military might of Judah. It was as strong as at any time in their history as under King Uzziah. He rebuilt all the cities, rebuilt all the walls and the fortifications. He took care of the Philistines and all the other enemies around him. And so he was a very, very good king. Now, if you remember your history, Uzziah's reign didn't end all that great. At the very last of his reign, the Bible says he went into the temple to offer incense. And we learned earlier that, you're, that only the priest could ever go in and offer incense, not the kings. And so he goes in and he offers the incense and the, the, the priest comes in and he catches him and he calls him out on it. And the Bible says Uzziah loses his temper and in that moment his face is struck with leprosy. And his body is struck with leprosy, and so he would live out the rest of his days in a house outside of the palace. He was never allowed to go back into the palace again. So his reign didn't end with somewhat of a whimper, but overall, he was one of the better kings in the history of Judah. And so now he has died, and the whole nation is shaking because their king is gone. But Isaiah gets a vision, and he sees another king who is seated on his throne who is not going anywhere, who is immutable, all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, and he is seated upon his throne, and he gets this glorious vision of our unshakable God. So let's stand together. Let's look at God's word this morning, and uh, we'll read Isaiah 6 and verses 1 through 8 today. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having live coals in his hands, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
who will go for us. And I said, here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, we we love you so much. We just thank you for your sweet presence here today. And we thank you, God, that in the midst of any uncertainty around us, in our nation, around our families, in our lives, and whatever the case may be, that we serve a God who is exalted, who is high and lifted up, who is on his throne today. You are our unshakable God. And we thank you. We can anchor in you and put our faith and our trust in you today. Lord, open up your word this morning. May it come alive today. Help me as I preach your word, and we'll thank you for your presence, and we'll give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to tell you, we live in a very uncertain time, a time of great political uncertainty. I think think everyone in here will agree with me that we are probably more divided as a nation politically than we've ever been. I, I think maybe in our history. There is, it's the, the red states and the blue states are about as far apart as you could ever get. Ideologically, they are far apart. And so we, we, there's this great governmental divide. Our government cannot get along. Our Congress, our president, whatever the case may be, it's not happening. And we are a very divided nation, right? Uh, we're, we're racially divided. I don't think we sometimes like to talk about it. We like to maybe cover it up and act like it doesn't exist. But there is still a racial divide in America. There are still many inequalities that are, are not addressed. And there's still and this racial tension is there. And sometimes it just kind of simmers underneath the surface. And then at other times in our land it will erupt and it will explode. And, and so there is a racial divide in our land today. And, and there are, there's this threat of terrorism that looms over us. It can happen any time. We were all, we couldn't believe it. When, when, when 9-11 occurred and when those towers came to the ground. But there still could be cells in America today. There are terrorists with an agenda to kill the Western nations and Western people, and, and, and they're out there, and it's a part of our landscape. It's a part of our world at any time, any place. And, and then it, our economy, and, and lately it's been strong. It's been good, and, and I just saw a, a thing. More people are working today than probably at any other time, but it could collapse at any time. There has always been that... Uh, thought of correction or a time, maybe you go a decade or so and you start climbing and then boy there's a correction and houses lose their value. You remember 2008, you remember 1998, you remember those times when there was a, a market correction and the stock market falls and, and, and houses plummet and people lose their jobs and there are cutbacks and there's, there can be what is known as economic uncertainty or a shaking that will go on. And the bottom line that is everything as a nation that can be shaken will be shaken. It's going to happen. There's always that potential of us being shaken. But in uncertain times, either politically or for our nation, or uncertain times in our own home, in our own lives, in our own family, I want to propose to you this morning, we need a new, fresh vision of our unshakable God. We serve a God who is absolutely unshakable. And it's good news today. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be stressed out. We don't have to be filled with worry. We don't have to be filled with fear because my God is still on his throne today. And Isaiah has such a vision for the nation of Judah. Look at this description of who God is. First of all, it says he is seated on his throne. Now that was great news for for Judah because Uzziah had died. 
and who's going to be the next king and what's going to happen to us and what's going to take place. And he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon his throne. God is totally, absolutely in control. Nothing catches him by chance or by accident or catches him off guard. God knows all. He is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at the same time. Uh, He is omnipotent, which means he is absolutely all-powerful. He is immutable. He is unchangeable. He is God. He is on his throne, and he is not shaken up by those things that shake us. Wow. When leaders come and go, he is still on his throne. When presidents come and go and senators and congressmen come and go, God is still on his throne. When everything around us seems to be crazy and going nuts, I want to tell you, God is still on his throne. When tragedy strikes and your world is turned upside down and some of you went through a loss in the last year, you suffered a tragedy. When the body gives a diagnosis of your health, you're not in that great a shape anymore. I want to tell you, God is still on his throne. Mm. The Bible also says he was high and lifted up. That gives us this exalted view of God. Now listen to me. If God is seen in this vision as being high and lifted up, it means he is above every principality and power and dominion and rulers of darkness in this spiritual wicked world. Uh, He is above all of that. He is above everybody else who is on the earth or in the earth or over the earth or around the earth. Uh, He is over everything. Why? Because he is high and lifted up which tells me God is over all. Mm. He's over the, our enemies. He is over all of my problems. He is over the mundane and drudgery of life. My God is over all. He is high and lifted up. The Bible also has this description of God. It says his train, the train of his robe, fills the temple. Now, the temple was 90 feet in height, and so you get this vision of this long train just filling the entire temple in this vision that that Isaiah sees. It is said that the length of a king's robe or a royalty's robe signified the length of their power and their dominion and their scope of authority. The Bible says the the robe of his train, what, filled the entire temple. He is over all. He is above all. Not only is he over all positionally, but he has all the power and all the authority to go along with it. Mm. Train of his robe filled the temple. And then, then in verses 2 and 3, you have this vision of these seraphim. Now, seraphim is a high order of angelic beings. It's the higher order of the angels, the angelic beings, the angelic creations of God. And they themselves are creations of burning purity. They, they are absolutely pure in, in who they are, created by God. There's no sin in them that we would ever know or think of. They are absolute angelic powerful, mighty angels of burning purity. But listen to me. In the presence of the absolute holiness and glory of God, the Bible said with two wings, they cover their face. His holiness is so far above everything else, every other created being with two wings, they cover their face. And with two wings, They cover their feet. 
Because why? They are in the presence of the awesome, incredible holiness of Almighty God. And they say, holy, holy, holy. I want to tell you, if you find something in the Word of God that's repeated three times, it's a pretty important attribute of God. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is absolutely a holy God. Of all the attributes of God, that holiness and that love are right there together. They are the chief attributes of who God is, and the angelic beings are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the same words you see repeated in Revelation chapter 4 when you have the 24 elders and the living creatures, possibly seraphim, and he describes what they look like then. And they're bowing down before the Lord, and they bow down before God, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And they lift up their eyes, and they see the exalted God again on his throne, and they bow down again. It says day and night, they don't stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And with two wings, they're flying across the top of that temple and all around that temple. And the Bible says they are saying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And you get the scene. The angels, seraphim on one side are saying, holy, holy. And they're flying. And another group of angels are flying back, holy, holy. And they're surrounding the throne of God. And they're saying morning, noon, and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who is and who was holy, holy. The whole earth, then the Bible says, is full of his glory was the second thing they said. God's glory fills the earth. God has said in his word, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the glory of Christmas and the glory of God and the glory of the birth of Jesus Christ, and I used that word glory, and I described it to mean something of substance or weight. It carries this idea of the weight of God, the substance of God, or who God is. Now, notice, God said, I will not share my glory with another. But what happened when Jesus Christ was born? When Jesus Christ was born, the Bible says in what? We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. Now, if God said he won't share his glory with another, why is in that moment when Joseph and Mary and the shepherds are looking at the face of Jesus Christ, they are saying, and we beheld his glory. It is because Jesus Christ is fully God. He is a part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is fully God. He has always been. He always will be. And what he is saying is when you looked in that manger, they were staring and looking at the face of God. And so God is true to his word. He won't share his glory with another. He's God. And God gets all the glory. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All the glory belongs to them. Right? Is the whole earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. And you get this scene, the temple is shaking. It describes this temple shaking, going back and forth, and you have this seraphim flying around, and they're chanting this holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and that in the midst of that shaking temple, you get this vision of an unshakable God because God is seated. He is on his throne. He is immovable. God is there. Mm, mm, mm. There was something else, though, that was shaking before the holiness of God. 
and that was Isaiah. And Isaiah is literally shaking. And he makes this statement, woe is me, I am undone. I am undone. Uh, Woe is me, woe is me. Now that word woe is a pronouncement of judgment. So anytime you see Jesus say woe to the Pharisees, woe to the Sadducees, he's, he's literally pronouncing judgment upon them. Woe is a pronouncement. And so what happens is Isaiah, when confronted with the absolute holiness and glory of God, is confronted with his own unholiness and his own sinfulness. And he says, woe is me. I am guilty. I'm guilty. The only thing any human being can ever say when they come in contact with who God is, is I am guilty. And then he says, I am undone. It says in the NIV, I am ruined. In the King James, it says undone. It literally means I am coming apart at the seams. I am being unraveled or I am disintegrating. Now, 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 now I want you to follow this with me for just a second. Isaiah is probably the most righteous guy in all of Judah. He's a good prophet. He is a man of God. He's a prophet of God. He may have been the most righteous man in all of Judah, all of Israel, maybe one of the most righteous guys living on the face of the earth that day. And yet, when he is confronted with the holiness of who God is, he just, he just begins to quake in his presence. He says, woe, woe is me. I'm under judgment. I am unraveled. I am undone. Wow, an amazing statement to make. And then he says, I have unclean lips. I have a dirty mouth. You ever wonder why he picked the mouth out? He says, I'm unraveled, I'm undone. Then he, then, he, then he picks his mouth out. I don't know about you guys, but me, it's this thing that gets me in trouble. It's my tongue. It's my mouth. And so if I think about any dirtiness in me, it's right here. It's things I say about somebody else I wish I could take back. It's, it's words that come out of my mouth that shouldn't have been there. It's, uh, it's this bit of gossip. It's that bit of anger. It's this bit of criticism. It's this bit of that. And it just kind of comes right out. And we say things and we say, oh. Right? As soon as it comes out, ah, you you want to grab it, and it's already gone, and it's already out. James 3 says that the mouth is the most unruly member, your tongue. Your tongue, you can't contain it. You can't tame it. It's It's an unruly member. He calls it a fire. He calls it a world of evil, a full of deadly poison. Now, here's the deal. When he gets this vision of God on his throne, there is no place for Isaiah to hide. So all pretense is gone. All cover-up is gone. Anything he kept on the inside is totally exposed. It was like Adam and Eve trying to hide from God in the presence of the garden. They could not hide from God. They couldn't find a place to get away from his glory and his presence because they were filled with sin. And so it is before that holy, awesome, mighty God that Isaiah is fully exposed and his verdict about himself is, I am guilty and I'm coming apart. Before the holiness of God, there can be no pride. Don't go in before God talking about how great you are and how wonderful you are and how great super I am and how awesome I am and what an awesome guy I am, blah, blah, blah. Listen, we don't come before God with our pride. All of our external disguises will be swept away. I I, I think... 
until we get some kind of sense or a vision of the holiness of God and, 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 the, and the greatness of who God is, we will never grieve over the sins of America. I think the reason we've lost the art of intercession and praying for our land and praying for America and crying out for our schools and crying out for our country and all that is somehow we become very comfortable with all the sin around us and all the environment around us and we're not living that much different than those who live around us and we say the same things and we act the same way and the, and the, the whole world has accepted a certain level of speech and profanity. The whole world has uh, accepted a level of lying and, and uh, uh, it's just on their tongue. It just comes out. It's there. And if we're not careful, we just get sapped in by culture. But when we get a, a view and a glimpse of the holiness of Almighty God, all of a sudden we become grieved with how far our land and how far our nation is away from Almighty God. How far we have turned. And yet we get unaffected. We become comfortable with sin. But that's not where the story ends. Then the grace of God steps in. And what happens is these, these seraphim come in and they take two burning coals off that altar. They take a coals off the altar. And the Bible says they have to grab the, the, the coals with their tongs because the coals are too hot to touch. And they take that coal and they touch Isaiah's lips. And the Bible said his sins were cleansed. And so what happens is that hot coal symbolically burns away the sins of Isaiah's mouth. And he says, I am cleansed and my sins have been atoned for. You see, the hot coals will not only burn away the sin, but they also cauterize and heal the wound. And you have this picture of his sins being removed and his life being healed and changed. There's another altar that I believe this points to. It's an altar that stood on a mountain called Calvary. And on top of that hill was a cross. And we can come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and even though we cry out, woe is me, I am undone, I'm falling apart. There is a cross, there is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for my sins. Uh, and when we come in and we kiss the cross, I will tell you, my sins are taken away. They are all removed and, and my life is healed. And he puts it back together again. The cross, the, the coals were symbolic of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that would come, and it's our only hope of salvation because before the holiness of God, we are all standing under the verdict of guilty, but when I come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he cleanses my mouth, he cleanses my heart, he cleanses my, ha my, my hands, he cleanses my life, he takes my sins away, and I stand in his righteousness, cleansed and forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm, 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 mm. And now that Isaiah is cleansed, he can discover his true purpose. I want you to look at verse 8 again. Look at his reaction after all this vision and all this happens. Then, then he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Now what's happened? Once the cleansing occurs... Once the forgiveness and the grace of God occurs, he is able now to follow through on his purpose 
and reason for being. And so it is when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, not only does he take my sins away, but he restores my God-given purpose. And what was Isaiah's purpose? It's the same purpose that every single one of us have when we come into the kingdom of God, and that's go and make disciples of all nations. Go and tell everybody about me. Go share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God saves us, and so now he's going to fulfill his purpose and reason for being. Now notice something in verse number one. I take you back there again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Everybody say Lord. Lord. The word for Lord in the, in the Hebrew language is the word Adonai. Now you'll find several different names for God. You'll know the name Yahweh. You've heard that name before. You may have heard the name Elohim, which was used to God in Genesis chapter one. Uh, Yahweh was kind of that covenant name for Israel. And then you have the name Adonai, which is a common name for Lord. And the word Adonai literally means master or owner or Lord. He's the Lord, he's the boss, he's in charge. What happens is we say Lord, we sing about the Lord, we talk about Jesus being Lord, but we don't live as if he's the real boss of our life. We're still trying to run the show. We're still trying to call the shots. We're still trying to be in charge. You see, let me tell you something. When you recognize that he is Adonai, the next thing you should say is, Lord, here am I. What do you want me to do? You're my Lord, what do you want me to do my family? What do you want me to do on the job? Who do you want me to share you with today? Who do you want me to talk to today? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do with my house? What do you want me to do with my car? What do you want me to do with my checkbook? What do you want me to do with my life? You're Lord. He's not just, it's not just a name we use. It's an acknowledgement that God, you are in control. And when there's a recognition that he is Adonai, that he is Lord, the next thing we gotta say is, Lord, here am I, here am I, send me. Here am I, what do you want me to do? Here am I, I'm ready. From that moment on, Isaiah would become a, a great, great prophet in the nation of Judah. Once we've been cleansed, now we're commissioned. He tells us to go. Listen, I, I wanna challenge you guys, 2019, don't just be a year of going through the motions. Don't just let it be a year of coming to church, in and out of church every Sunday. We're glad you're here, but don't let that be your only reason for being. God has called you. He is your Lord. And now we say, God, what do you want me to do? What is my purpose? What is my function? What is my calling? And we say that and we live that out. Why? Because he is Adonai. He is the Lord. Lord, what? What would you have of my life? The pattern is still the same. God appears, people quake, the Lord forgives and cleanses, and then the Lord sends. Don't stop with just the forgiveness and the cleansing. Move on into that sending part. God, here am I, send me. You have a man from brokenness, from being undone, from being unraveled, to now he is on mission. He is on point. He is serving God as the Lord has called him to. He is sent out as an emissary for God. Isn't it amazing that God can use cracked, broken, unraveled, woeful, undone vessels like me take our lives and forgive us put us back together again and then bring us on assignment for him and we get to serve we get to serve our 
Adonai. Isaiah was fractured, undone by his own speak, own lips. He said, I am shattered, I am sinful, I am dirty. But he would become a spokesman for the nation of Judah. Wow. Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.